Blessed are the poor in heart, uh, excuse me, the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Lord, I pray for your help this morning as we take time to look into your word and hear directly from a message that you preached. God, I pray that today it would help us. I pray it would help in discouragement. I pray that it would help in um, down moments. Lord, I pray that it would encourage us this morning to understand that we can truly be happy in you. Lord, I pray that you would help me to present these verses clearly and correctly. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The recipe for happiness. I've got four things today uh, to give you in the recipe to happiness. Number one, I want us to see what we are. Um, and we're going to see a couple of things in each of these verses that are going to help us to know what we should be or and those sorts of things as well. And so first of all this morning, what we are or what we should be maybe would be a better would be a better phrase for it. But number one, we see pure, poor in spirit, poor and pure. I got to get those words straight today. Poor in spirit. In verse number three, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is talking about humility, being humble. And here we see that Christians or the Christian who realizes that he is nothing without God is going to be the happiest Christian, right? A lot of times we try to figure out what we are, what, uh, what we are capable of. And we think that happiness will come in my success and what I accomplish in my abilities. The reality is happiness comes from God. True happiness, lasting happiness comes from God. And when I realize that without God, I, I really am nothing. That sounds mean to say. It sounds uh, demeaning to say, you are nothing. Um, I've heard messages preached on, you're the, a paper clip. You're worthless. Um, uh, that's, not, that's not what I'm trying to tell you today. You're not worthless. But without God, what can we accomplish? There are things on this earth that we can accomplish, but ultimately, without God, we are nothing. And if we want to find happiness, the recipe starts with being humble and understanding that God is the one that can bring me true happiness. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Christ will provide, God will provide true happiness in your life if you will humble yourself before him. You remember the disciples had different conversations about who will sit next to Jesus uh, or sit next to God, who who was the best, who was the one that God liked the most, those kinds of things. It's the same kinds of stuff that we still do today, yet uh, we don't have Jesus telling us right there, hey, you're being foolish. <laughs> um, but he tells us in the Bible that we are, if we have that kind of mentality. He says, humble yourself, become low, low in heart, low in spirit, humble in spirit, not, not droopy, um, not um, Eeyore. Eeyore is my favorite example when it comes to um, the wrong kind of lowliness. You remember Eeyore, right? He's in Winnie the Pooh, a super spiritual cartoon. Um, and Eeyore walks around, he mopes around, nobody likes me, I'm all alone. And a lot of times, um, poor, poor Eeyore is alone. But um, 
uh, there's always his friends there to come by eventually and actually help him. It's not as bad as Eeyore thinks it is. And a lot of times as Christians, we think, well, I have to be poor in spirit. I've got to be like Eeyore, moping around, miserable. No, God doesn't want you to be miserable. As a matter of fact, God wants you to be happy, joyful, joy-filled. But it's not going to happen if you don't humble yourself before God. Not only are we supposed to be poor in spirit, but we're also supposed to have a pressed soul. Verse number four says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The mourn here that is being discussed in Matthew 5 is sorrow for sin. When I sin, I ought to be sorrowful. I ought to be uh, mourning over the sin that I have committed so that I can get it right. The Christian who is truly sorry for their sin, whose heart breaks when they sin against God, becomes comforted by God and ultimately happy again. You look in David's life, and we've talked about it before, but in the sin with Bathsheba and the depression and pain that hit David after that sin, until he got it right, there was this depressed person, I believe. There was this shame-filled person, I believe. But when he is confronted, and when he finally says, God, I have sinned, cleanse me, purify me, wash me, create in me a new spirit, God does. And the joy comes back into David's life. The happiness comes back because when he finally mourned over his sin, when he was finally truly sorry for his sin, repentant of his sin, the joy was restored. David says, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but God in this, uh, because of this sin, I've, I've lost all my joy of your salvation. God, I've lost all my uh, uh, pep in my step. See, that's again Hebrew. Uh, I've lost all these things. And he says, but, but now that God has forgiven me, the joy is restored. We ought to be poor in spirit. We ought to have a pressed soul. We ought to be patient in strife. Verse number five, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You ever heard the phrase before, meekness is not weakness. It's true, for God tells us to be meek. He does not tell us to be weak. Gentleness and patience is kind of a good description of what meekness means. The best definition I've heard for meekness is power under control. Power under control, meekness. I grew up around horses. I started working with horses when I was 11 years old. When I was 11, I was not near as buff as I am now, um, <laughs> or bulky. Uh, I was a very scrawny, skinny, uh, um, uh, small 11-year-old boy. And when, when at 11 years old, standing next to a horse, there is, at least in my mind, a very good understanding of this horse could kill me. As a matter of fact, even to this day, standing next to a horse, I realize if this thing decided to sit on me, I would be in trouble. They're a little bit heavier than I am, a little bit um, uh, more powerful than I am. A horse can pull far more weight than I can pull. A horse can drag far more weight than I can drag. And the understanding of power 
that a horse holds. Meekness is power under control. And the amazing thing about horses is when they are broke or tamed, uh, trained, you see then a horse under control with just a piece of leather tugging on the side of the face or whatever it may be, pressing up against the neck, however it was trained, uh, with just a simple uh, motion, a, a touch, the horse turns. With just a click of the tongue or a tap of the heel, the horse moves. With just a tug of the leather again, the horse stops. Now again, it's after they've been trained, but it is power that is contained, it is under control. And that's what meekness is. And as a Christian, if we are meek, even though we have power, but we control it. We are under control. That meekness is blessed by God and that meekness can help us uh, be happy. What we are, humble, sorrowful over sin, and meek, poor in spirit, pressed in soul, patient in strife. Number two this morning, I want us to see where we aim. Where we aim. In verse number six, the Bible says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We should be aiming for righteousness. There are none that are righteous. Not a single one of us. But we should be aiming for righteousness, for purity, for holiness, for godliness, for righteousness. We should hunger for it. We should thirst for it. Do you desire to be righteous? Most of us, if not all of us, there are times where we say, I want to do right, I am doing right, I choose to do right. But if there is something, one thing, it could be different for everyone, that comes across, then if I can use the word tempts us, we would go, I would more rather do that than be righteous. When it comes to food, I have a weakness, it's called pizza. I can eat and, and have some self-control throughout the week. Eat salads for lunch. Uh, eat one portion at mealtime for dinner. I usually skip breakfast, but that's just me. Uh, I, I, can, I can, in most cases, have enough self-discipline to get me through the week and eat healthy for a week. But then a pizza is put before me. And I can't just have two pieces of pizza. It just doesn't work for me. Uh, my body doesn't know how to stop at two pieces. And uh, so I've got to have more and more. And next thing you know, I've eaten a whole pizza by myself and I'm sitting there on the couch going, what have I done? A hunger and thirsted for pizza, not for health. <laughs> now, if we can take that silly illustration and bring it to our spiritual life. Where there's times where we can we can do well. And we can be righteous and we can do good and be right. But then there's something that comes up and we say it trips us up, but it's not, it's not what happens. It's we choose, no, I, I, can't, I can't contain myself in this area. You see, you can't contain yourself in any area for that matter. God is the one that helps us, strengthens us, and, and gets us through those temptations. But the question is, is do you hunger after righteousness? 
If our aim and our desire is to be righteous, to be good, to, to, to do right, and we thirst after it, then when the temptation comes, even though it's still tempting, our desire is still to do right. What helps us in doing that is fully surrendering to God to do fully what He desires for us to do. There's a day that we're going to stand before God as righteous people, and it's not going to be because of my righteousness and your righteousness. It's going to be because of Jesus' righteousness, what Christ did for us. There's going to come a day where the lost world will crave righteousness, but it'll be too late. Revelation 22.11 says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. A lot of us think, well, next year, next week, next month, when I retire, whatever it may be, we think that's when I'll be able to give up the what I know is childish, what I know is wrong. I just want to kind of enjoy it a little bit longer, but eventually I'll do right. That's not hunger and thirsting after righteousness. And God says, if you want to be happy, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you hunger for righteousness, if you thirst for righteousness, God says you will be filled. Again, not that you won't be tempted, it's that you will because you are seeking to follow God because it's a desire of yours to follow God, you will be filled. Where we're aiming, we're aiming to do right. We're aiming to be righteous. Number three, the ways that we act. And we'll cover this in verses 7 through 9. We see, first of all, how we act when we face cruelty. In verse number 7, the Bible says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy, compassion shown toward the offender. It's the heart and soul of the gospel. God not giving me what I deserve. Mercy. What about when we face corruption? Guess what? That's happening. How are we supposed to act? Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We must be pure inside and out, no matter the unpure things that are around us. Merciful, pure. What about when we face conflict? Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. There are enough people in this world stirring up problems. The Christian ought to be the one who brings peace. And I believe that the Christian who brings peace is the happiest of Christians. The world is not going to find peace without the Prince of Peace. And when the Prince of Peace shows up, it's going to be too late for those who have rejected it. Without righteousness, there is no peace. Hence the reason in this world, there will not be peace. Because in case you haven't figured it out yet, the world is not righteous. And again, one day the Lord will return, and when He does, He will wipe the world of wickedness away. And that's when peace will appear. There's always conflict in a relationship when at least one of the people is wrong. 
In most cases, in my experiences, both people are wrong, but in different ways. And so when you look at the, uh, um, that example, if you look at a marriage and a husband and wife who are having conflict, it's often because it's two unrighteous people trying to get their way. There's not going to be peace in that situation. When does peace arrive? Peace arrives when one person, at least, it's better when both people, but when one person says, I'm going to be a play peacemaker. I'm going to sacrifice my own thought, want, whatever it may be, to give to the other person. But in that case, only one person's happy in most cases, right? The person who supposedly won. So how do we have full happiness within a relationship when both people give up of themselves to help the other? And now this person is living for this person and this person living for that person and now you have happiness. You see, when it comes to the things of God, when we make peace, the world is always going to be wrong. Wicked, I should say. The world is always going to be wicked. We can't give in to the world, right? We can't just say, you know, what you're doing is fine. Because that's not what the Bible's talking about. But peacemaker, not stirring up more issues, not fighting over things that don't need to be fought over, Creating peace and not strife. How we handle problems will either create peace or strife. We've talked about that a lot already, so I don't want to spend much more time on it, but how a Christian responds to wickedness determines of how the, the wickedness responds back to the Christian. You can tell someone in love and in the right spirit and in the right heart what you're doing is wrong. It doesn't mean they're going to go, you're right. <laughs> right? But there are people that we know are wrong, that we've confronted about and saying, what you're doing is wrong. And they've still said, we're going to keep doing it. But there's still peace in our relationship. And there are other people who we went to and we said, you're wrong. You're a dirty, rotten person. You're going to burn in hell for eternity. I never want to see your face again. That's not peaceful. And it's not peacemaking. How do we deal with conflict? I'm telling you, if you don't pray about it before you deal with it, you're going to handle it the wrong way. Because there are going to be things that come up and you're going to go, this is just dead wrong. And I don't understand how you don't see that it's dead wrong. And you're going to get frustrated. You're going to say something in a manner that's not very loving. If you go back to Jesus and you watch his life, and Jesus is preaching literally this message. He's sitting there on the mountain. He's got a multitude around him and his disciples. And he's saying to them, the same people who in, in, in a short time period would be chanting, crucify him. He's saying to them, blessed are the peacemakers. 
And if you think that you get frustrated over people who don't seem to understand what you're telling them, think about Jesus. He was murdered. Just because your feelings are hurt, just because you don't understand, just because you're frustrated, does not give you the freedom to go off on somebody. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers don't just give in. They still try to help get people right. But they go about it in a way that is Christ-honoring and Christ-pleasing. Christ being slapped, spit on, crown of thorn ripped into his head, pounded into his head, rather. Humiliated. All these sorts of things. What did he do? Boy, and we sit here and go, no, no, I've got to be heard. Social media makes us strong. I've got to be heard. Why? You think you're going to change some perfect stranger's opinion on social media? And blessed are the peacemakers. Too often times the Christian falls into the, the trap that Satan has set for us to look foolish. Sometimes we know what is right, but we don't know why it's right. And so we say something, and then someone challenges us, and we're sitting there going, uh, that's why you got to know your Bible. It's a whole other sermon. When we face conflict, when we face corruption, when we face cruelty, we can still be happy if we show mercy, if we're pure, and if we are peacemakers. Then lastly, I want us to see what we accept. Number one this morning, what we are. Number two, where we aim. Number three, ways we act. And number four, what we accept. Verse number 10 through verse number 12. Blessed are they which are persecuted. Not just persecuted, persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. These are important verses, and I want to make sure I say them clearly. The Bible says that we, will, we should accept persecution. But a lot of times when we get into these things, where we feel persecuted, we're not persecuted for God's sake, we're persecuted for other reasons. Sadly, Americans have taken political persecution as religious persecution. Well, I'm being persecuted because I stand for this, the thing that is right. But even in our stand, we're standing more politically than we are biblically. And so we say, well, I'm being persecuted against because I'm this, of this party or of this belief or of this thought process when... And, Okay, it's not happy are you if you're persecuted for political reasons. It's happy are you if you're, if you're persecuted for righteousness sake because you are doing godly things in God's name. It says in verse 11, 
when they revile you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And I've heard people, well, they're lying about me. God says, blessed is the man who gets lied about. No, blessed is the man who gets falsely accused of things for God's sake. It goes back to the pure in heart. It goes back to the they that mourn. It goes back to the poor in spirit, excuse me. It goes back to the hunger and thirsting after righteousness. It goes back to the merciful and the pure in heart and uh, the peacemakers. It, it, all of that comes back to this point. If I am those things and I'm following after God and my stand for God brings on persecution, I should accept the persecution. Now, again... The question is, well, when do I fight? The Bible says there is a time to war. And there's a time for peace. Christ says at certain times, you are to turn the other cheek. And I always encourage you with this simple thought, go back to Jesus. When did Jesus fight? And when did Jesus just accept the persecution? You'll find more times than not, he accepted the persecution. Was there times where Jesus so-called fought? Yes. But in most cases, when they came against him, he sat quietly and he accepted the persecution. Most notably, at the cross. Why? Because he was there at the cross for a purpose. You see, God has placed us here on purpose. He's placed us in this era on purpose. He's placed us in this country under this leadership on purpose. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't stand for what is right. I'm not saying that we shouldn't speak out uh, against that which is wrong. But let's be careful. And I want to be careful when I say this. Because I don't believe that patriotism and Christianity is the same thing. I'm not against you being patriotic. I believe that we should be patriotic. But sometimes we, we take a stand against socialism as, as a stand for God. And yet we ignore all the things that God has told us to do. And the people that God has told us to love. The gospel that God has told us to share. I've been so disappointed in, in pastors across America over the last couple of years. And they, they take their support of a human being as godly. And again, listen, I don't want you to be confused by this. I'm 100% against abortion. I'm 100% against wicked lifestyles. I'm 100% for freedom of speech, the right to bear arms, all those sorts of things. But if I ignore all the things that the Bible tells me to do just to stand up for my freedoms, there are Christians all across the world that they don't have the freedoms we have and God is much more pleased with them 
than he is with us. Because sometimes we get too caught up in our freedoms that we don't actually take advantage of the freedoms that we have. Listen, I don't want to lose my freedoms. And I'll do what I can to make sure that I don't. But if it comes to following God or living in a country that's no longer free, I've got to follow God. And that's how I become happy. Not by the country that I live in, but in the God that I serve. That's where my joy comes. That's where it's supposed to come. You know, I look around at things of, of the world and, boy, I'd like to have this and I'd like to have that. And sometimes we get caught up in the, if I had this, then I'd be happy. If I got this, then I'd be happy. If I didn't ever have to see that person again, then I'd be happy. We have all these different things that we kind of define as, this is how I can be happy. And God says, no. If you want to be happy, be humble. If you want to be happy, mourn over your sin. If you want to be happy, be meek. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Be merciful. Be pure. Be a peacemaker. And accept persecution. How can someone be happy when they're being persecuted? Read your Bible. There's lots of examples. The happiest people are those that suffer for Jesus. And if you think you're suffering for Jesus, go pick up a biography of some missionaries. Read through the scriptures. Read through the New Testament and all that goes on with the church in Acts. Read through how the apostles died. If you think you're suffering for Jesus, you don't have a clue of what suffering for Jesus is. I'm not saying that you aren't receiving persecution, but I promise you it can get a lot worse. And even if it does, you can still be happy. Jesus Christ preached this message. It was the introduction into his Sermon on the Mount, the first thing that he gets into. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, and I believe this, these verses included, talk about the heart of Christians. It's always dealing with our heart. If you want to be happy, follow Jesus. If you want to be happy, follow the sermon that Christ preached. Lord, thank you for your word and what it teaches us. And Lord, thank you that uh, even in our imperfections, you're still perfect. And God, that we can truly depend on you to bring us lasting and true happiness. And God, I know that all of us want to be happy, yet oftentimes uh, we kind of go our own direction to try to bring that happiness along. And even though you clearly lay it out for us, how we can be happy, Lord, we often ignore it. So Lord, draw us to you and draw us to your word. And God, help us to experience true biblical happiness. I do pray in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, the piano is going to play. I'm not going to ask you specific questions today. I'll just say that if God spoke into your heart about an area that needs to change in your life, 
on this morning, do business with the Lord and allow him to change you. Allow him to help you. Allow him to bring you happiness. God knows your heart. You know your heart. Do what's necessary. Do what's right. Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Are you merciful? Are you meek? Are you a peacemaker? Are you humble? Do you mourn over your sin? A lot's covered in these verses. And I encourage you this morning, don't leave until you're right with God and following Him. Thank you.